Well, today, uh, we're going to actually finish up a series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called It's Not Over. And today, I, I want to talk to you about the subject, It's Not Over Even When You Fail. It's not over even when you fail. Would you bow your head and let's just ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord, I thank you that your grace is so strong that we don't have to fear even our own failures. And God, I pray that today as we look in your word, you would make it somehow come alive to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us where we need to be spoken to. Talk to us deep in the the deepest parts of our innermost being, Lord God. And those, those places, Lord God, that... That, that you need to tweak, that you need to rearrange, or maybe you need to pull out altogether. Do whatever you want to do. God, Lord God, I know that only you can do this in our lives, and I just pray, Lord, that you would accomplish it. I'm believing you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if you ever spend time thinking about it, you'll discover, or at least you'll realize, the Bible is full of spectacular failures. You ever thought about that? I mean, think for a moment. You got Noah. He built the ark, and that's all great, and everything he did, he made it through the flood, and then he got drunk. And then there was Abraham, full of promise. He was called by God, full of purpose, going to be the father of many nations. And then he begins to lie and say, no, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Uh, When he went into foreign lands, by the way, To all the men who are married, I just want to say to this, to you, that if you're ever in a situation where you're faced, either say that this this woman is my wife or or my sister, or die, choose death, because you're never going to live that one down. You're never going to live that one down, ever. Ever the rest of your life, every time there's a disagreement, you can say, oh yeah, I remember that time when you made me say I was your sister? You know, you're never going to live that one down. There was Moses. He, he, he said, you know, I'm going to deliver my people. And then he, he kills a man and buries him in the sand and gets lost in the backside of the wilderness for 40 years. Thomas, well, he doubted everything. Peter, he denied the Lord. And Paul, he was a, a zealous persecutor of the people of God. All throughout the Bible, it is full of spectacular failures. The problem with us, though, is that we like our heroes to always make the right choices, don't we? We like our our heroes always to say the right things. We want our heroes always to wear the white hat. Isn't that true? You know, we're not comfortable with good people making bad choices, and we're really not even comfortable with bad people making good choices. You know, I I, mean, you remember the song, now I'm going to show my age, but you remember this song uh, came uh, came out, I think it was way back in the 80s, We Are the World. Remember that song? And, you know, we are the world. And I'm not going to sing any more than that. Uh, but, um, you, you know, when that song came out, there were some people who said, oh, they're not doing that to help anybody. They're just trying to help themselves and sell records because they're sinners and sinners can't really do anything good. Well, I, I beg to differ. You know, people full of sin do all kinds of things that are good. And, and people that are saved do all kinds of things that are bad. We know this, this is true, because the Bible's full of spectacular failures. You know, we are a mesh of flesh and spirit, and we, are, we, have to, we have to let our spirit live, and we have to crucify our flesh. But the truth is, sometimes we are going to fail. Sometimes we are going to fail, and not only are we going to fail, but we are going to fail spectacularly. Can I get an amen? amen. Even though we are believers in Jesus Christ. I want you to look at John chapter 1, verse 8. 
very famous passage of scripture. It says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we say, I I don't have a tendency to sin, I don't ever sin, I don't ever mess up, I never fail, there's no chance that I'm ever going to fail, then you are deceiving yourself. And the Bible says that when you say, "I, I do everything right, I don't ever mess up, I've got everything under control, that you're setting yourself up for failure. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. But what does it say next? Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though you're saved, it doesn't mean you're not going to blow it every now and then. Isn't that right? Turn to your neighbors and look at them and say, you look good. Come on, say it out loud. You look good. Even with a mask, you look good. Say it. Say, but now look at him and say, but you mess up. You mess up. Now look at him and say, and so do I. And at least I'm a little glad that you were a little more confident on the so do I part. But, you know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it lets us see that our, our heroes are not perfect. You know, uh, that's actually one of the proofs for me of the inspiration of Scripture because it, because it doesn't try to, try to hide the flaws of the men of God in the scripture, but the, the Bible doesn't hide the sins of the heroes of the faith, but the, but the church does, you know, we carry this expectation that nobody is ever going to mess up. Nobody's ever going to do anything wrong. Nobody's ever going to fail. And then when we do, we we're just devastated. And yet the Bible is full of human beings who love God, but still sin every now and then. And this is a hard concept for us to deal with, but look at with me at, at Proverbs chapter 24, Verse 16, this is what it says. It says, for though a righteous man, what what kind of a man? What kind of a woman? A righteous, though a righteous man fails, excuse me, falls seven times, he rises again. It doesn't say that a righteous man never falls down. It doesn't say that a righteous man never messes up. It doesn't say that a righteous man will always live perfectly. Righteous means that, if, that he sees himself for who he really is. That he knows that he has fallen down. He doesn't lie about it. He is not deceived about it. But then he, that man goes to God and says, I've messed up. I've fallen down. I've sinned. I need your help. A righteous man, you see, is is just a man who, with the help and forgiveness and and by the grace of God uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets up one more time than he falls down. It's not over even when you fail. You know, I've talked with people and tried to share my faith with them, and and they've said things like, well, pastor, you just don't know what I've done. I've done too much for God to forgive me. God must hate me. No, listen to me this morning. You need to hear this. God loves you no matter what you've done. He doesn't want you to live in that. He doesn't want you to wallow in that. But he loves you regardless of what you've done in the past. He loves you with an, with an everlasting love, the Bible says. And you, you know, when we, when we talk about these spectacular fa- failures in the Bible, I can't help but think of David. Probably, he's probably one of my, if not my favorite, he's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. I love uh, looking at his life, learning from his life. We did a study in our uh, Wednesday night Bible studies of his life. That's still online. You can always go back if you missed that and listen to that. But, uh, but I think of David. So uh, look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David 
son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So at the beginning of David's rule, when he's anointed as the king, when he's, he's prophesied to be the king, uh, at the very beginning of all, God says he's a man after my own heart. But then you look at, at, the, at the end of David's life. Verse 36 of the same chapter says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. So at the beginning of the rule of David, he was a man after God's own heart. At the end of of his life, when he died, it says that he served God's purpose in his generation. But here's what we know about David. Those are great, great things to be said. Great bookmarks to be put on a person's life. But in the middle of it all... He had a lot of failures, spectacular failures. He he took a census when God told him not to. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover that up, he he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed to cover cover it up. You see, at the beginning... God was David was was a was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's God's own heart. And at the end, God said that he served his purposes, God's purpose in his generation. But in the middle, there were times when David was an absolutely spectacular failure. See, even good men make bad choices. The question is not, are you going to sin? The question is not, are you going to fail? The question is, how do we respond when we fail? How do we recover when we mess up? You see, some of you, some of you have written yourself off already, or, or, or maybe you've written other people off because, because you caught them in the middle of their story instead of the beginning or the end. And God says, don't write them off. Here's what I want you to understand. People can love God and still mess up. And here, here's the hard part of the, of the lesson for us. Uh, and this is just in passing, the, the, the way you treat people when you catch them in sin actually says more about you than it does about them. The way you treat people when you catch them is, in sin says a lot more about you than it does about them. It says a lot, a lot I'll tell you this, it says an awful lot about whether you really understand God's grace in your life. That's a whole different message. I'm re- I want to preach this another time because it, it talk about the, there's the parable that's in uh, in uh, the that Jesus told about the the man who forgave great debt and then that guy went out and and didn't uh, forgive another debt and then it was a much smaller debt and then it says that the original debt was it was was uh, was uh, renewed it was put back into place. Well, the reason was is because the man who was forgiven the great debt obviously didn't really understand how great the debt was when it was forgiven and how much grace there was in that because then when he had the opportunity to give the same thing at a smaller uh, level, he refused to do so. So when we don't forgive those that sin, it shows that we don't understand how much grace God has given to us. But that's a whole different message. We'll preach on that another time. But let's look at how David responded to his sin, because, because all of us sin, right? We, we know that, we talk that. If we, if we, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. All of us at times sin, and all of us at times have spectacular failures. That's the truth. So how do we respond? 
Well, I want you to look with me at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David in response to having uh, his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah exposed. Uh, Nathan the prophet, we're not going to go into the story, but Nathan the prophet uh, shows up at the throne room and stands before David and he tells David the story about a rich man in the nation who had stolen the lamb uh, away from a poor man and David was outraged by it and said, this man must be punished. This guy is going to pay for it. He surely must die. Goes through all these terrible things and then Nathan stands up and says, you are the man. I love that story. I love that story. You know, it was a while. Remember, there was a phrase when somebody said, you the man. Well, we mean it in a good way, but Nathan didn't mean it in a good way. And so, anyway... Uh, David, when his sin was discovered, when it was exposed, he wrote Psalm 51 in response to this. So read it with me. Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my, uh, my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. By the way, I'm not going to talk about that, but that's a huge key right there. I mean, he had killed Uriah, and yet he said, really, God, that sin is against you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me in my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You know, if I was going to give this psalm a title, I would call it the cry of the brokenhearted. David just, he just lays his heart bare before God, lays it all out there. And so let's just walk through it uh, briefly from the beginning to the end. The first thing David says in this cry of the brokenhearted, he says, God Have mercy on me. Everybody say, have mercy. mercy. When you mess up, when you sin, this has got to be our response. When, When we sin, our response is simply, God, have mercy on me. You know, I want you to notice, David doesn't look at, uh, pray and, and go to God. He doesn't say, God, look at every, every, all the good things I've done in my past. 
Look at, he doesn't say, God, forgive me because I've been such a good king. I've tried to do the right things. He doesn't say, God, forgive me because of all the possibilities that are in my future. I could do great things for you. He doesn't say, God, forgive me because of any of the, any of the good I've done. God, forgive me for, for the good that I can do. God, forgive me because of the money that I gave in the offering. He doesn't say, God, forgive me because I've been faithful to church all these years. He doesn't say, God, forgive me because I have taught Sunday school for 50 years. He, he says, God, he doesn't say, God, forgive me because I'm just, I'm really just a good guy at heart. He doesn't do any of that at all. He just says, God, have what? God, have mercy on me. When we sin, when we mess up, when we blow it, the only place we can place our hope, we have to stake our hope on the grace of God. You know, David doesn't come to God and ask for forgiveness based on anything else. He says, God, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you but filthy rags and shame and guilt. But God, I'm trusting in your mercy. I'm not trusting in my goodness. I'm not trusting in in my abilities. I'm not asking you to forgive me because I'm good. But he's saying, but have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It was not a cry from his position. He didn't say, I'm the king, so forgive me. He didn't say, look at my past, so forgive me. He didn't say, look at, at what's possible in the future, so forgive me. David understood that the only hope he had was to put his trust in the mercy of a loving God. Have mercy on me. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't come and begin to bargain. We like to do that. We like to bargain with God. He doesn't say, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do that for you. God, if you'll get me out of this, then I'll serve you the rest of my life. He doesn't come to God and begin to rationalize his sin. God, you, oh, Lord, you know what it's like. I was lonely. I was, I was, I was tired. She was there. You know, guys. God, you know my heart. I didn't mean to hurt anybody. No, he doesn't try to rationalize it. He doesn't try to justify it. He doesn't try to explain it away. David doesn't come to God and try to make excuses. He doesn't try to reason it away. He says, God, this is what I did. There is no excuse. I have no reason behind it. I have nothing to fall back on. This is a mess that I have created on my own. I have I come to you, God, and I have nothing to offer you. Instead, I simply say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I think it's important for us to ask the question, what is mercy? You know, uh, we get confused, mercy and grace. They're very, very closely related, but they're a little bit different because mercy is different. Mercy is not getting punishment that you deserve. Grace is getting favor that you don't deserve. See, there's a little bit of a difference there. Mercy is when you stand before the judge and he says, I'm not going to make you pay your fine even though you're guilty. Grace is when he says, you're guilty, so I'm going to pay the fine for you. See, there's a difference. And, and you know, Paul in the New Testament, he knew what it was to taste of the, of the mercy of God. You, keep your finger there in Psalm 51. We'll come back to it. But look at Ephesians 2. Paul, Paul knew what it was like. He, he had been such a, a, an enemy of God but he had been transformed by the mercy and grace of God into a follower of Jesus. Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, because of his, his what? Because of his great love for us. God, who is, I love this phrase, who is what? Rich in what? 
rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. David says, God have mercy on me. God, I need to have, I need your mercy. And then Paul says, well, that's great because God is rich in mercy. Listen to me, the thing that you need is the thing that God has in abundance. The mercy that we need is a thing that God has in abundance. That you need mercy, but God is rich in mercy. Yes, he's, yes, he's rich in money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, he's rich in majesty. The angels, thousands upon thousands of them, all gather before him and worship him day and night. Yes, he's rich in wisdom. He knows the end from the beginning and his ways are higher than your ways. But you know what? He is more than rich in mercy because every time we confess our sin, as we read from 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How many times does it say every time jeremiah says in lamentations chapter 3 that his mercy is new every morning you wake up on the dawn and there's a newness to god's mercy there's a newness of god's compassion that he is he's ready for whatever you bring god is rich in mercy aren't you glad for that aren't you glad for that somebody somebody give the lord a clap of praise would you do that just give him thanks for his mercy He's rich in mercy. How many of you are glad you don't serve a stingy God? Yes. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. David says, if you delighted in an offering, I'd bring it. He said, if, if you delighted in a sacrifice, I'd bring it. Listen to me. God does not want your bargain. He doesn't want you to say, well, if, you do, if, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you. Listen, when you sin, you need to know God is not out to punish and to destroy you. His greatest goal is to forgive you and to restore you. Why? Because he is rich in mercy. David says, God have mercy on me. The cry of a broken heart is a cry for mercy. Now I want you to notice the second thing David cries out for. His heart is broken because of his sin, because of his spectacular failure. He says, have mercy on me. Then he says things like this. He says, blot out my transgression, verse 1. He says, wash away my iniquity, verse 2. Cleanse me from my sin, verse 2. Cleanse me with hyssop, verse 7. Wash me, verse 7. Blot out my iniquity, verse 9. He says, have mercy on me, O God. And then he says cleanse me. He says, don't give me the punishment that I've earned, God. But now he says, I want you to go further than that. I want you to make me clean. God, would you make me clean? Everybody say, cleanse me. Cleanse me. No less than half a dozen times, David says, cleanse me. Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from iniquity. Blot blot it out. Wash me. How many of you, uh, when you were in high school, uh, had to read Macbeth? Do you ever, ever have to read Macbeth, the Shakespearean play? You know, Lady Macbeth killed somebody and she can't get the blood off of her hands. Right? And she's washing her hands and, and, she, and then finally she just curses and says, Out! And yet the blood do, just doesn't leave. Th- that's what David is going through here. He, he, he sees it because Revelation chapter 12 is right when it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know what it means? That, and you know what that, what's like. David says this. He says, and you can relate with this. He says, my sin is always before me. What does he mean? It means that David is waking up at night with Uriah's face haunting him in his dreams. 
He's walking through the temple during the day to worship God, knowing what he did. He's, he, every time he looks at Bathsheba, he, he's, he looks at her and, he, and, he, and he's seeing her knowing what he did. He sees the grave of the child that was born from his sin with Bathsheba who died as a result of his sin and he remembers what he did. David's sin is always on his mind. It was always in front of him. I mean, why, why does Paul write in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? The reason is because even after you've been forgiven by God, the enemy of your soul wants to continue to condemn you and he wants to keep you under a load of guilt. He wants to continue to accuse you and, and he wants to try to tell you that you're no good. He wants to convince you that you, you don't really love God. David loved God, but he messed up. David understood that although he was guilty, God is a God of love and forgiveness. If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. He, David said six times, God cleanse me. God blot my sin out. God wash me. God get rid of this stain from my soul. And you, and you know what it's like. You've been in there where you can't get the pictures out of your mind. They play over and over and over again in, in your brain. You wake up during the night from, from the dream sweating and thinking about it. You know what it's like. And, and you begin to, you, you have this hidden sin and you wonder who really knows and how much do they know and how long before everybody knows. You know your sin is keeping you at a distance from God. And the accuser, Satan, whispers in your ear and says, I know what you did. I know what you did and you know what you did. This is who you are. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this today. You do not have to be defined and destroyed by your failure. You do not have to be defined and destroyed by your failure. Now, you can be. That's your choice. If that's what you want, you can hang on to it. You can go down that path, but you don't have to. But you have to go to God and say, God, have mercy on me. Not on my own merit, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. God, cleanse me. So that I can be clean. Wash away the guilt. Wash away the shame. Wash away the fear. Wash away the worry. Wash it all away. And then the question is, what can wash away my sin? That's what David's really asking here, isn't it? He's saying, what can wash away my sin? He says, I I tried hyssop. I, I tried not thinking about it. I tried ignoring it. I tried burying it. I tried everything. What can wash away my sin? What can get rid of the guilt? What can get rid of my shame? What can get rid of my sin? And I'm here to tell you that the little song we used to sing way back in the little church I grew up, grow up, grew up in, in the outskirts of Kansas City, Missouri. It's, that song is still true today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The answer is not psychotherapy. The answer is not hypnosis. The answer is not trying to get a better self-image uh, of yourself. The answer is not taking a new drug. That You need something supernatural in your life. You need to know that God has forgiven you and that God has cleansed you. Amen. No matter what you've done, God sees you for for who you can become, not just for who you are now. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Cleanse me and I will be clean. David says, have mercy. I'm the king, but I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to offer. Have mercy. Cleanse me. Then he's, look what he says next. He says, create in me a clean heart. He says, I'm tired of being tired. He says, the weight of my sin felt like it was crushing my bones. And he's saying, I want my innocence back. I want to be able to walk into the temple and worship without guilt. I don't want to feel this weight crushing me any longer. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's saying, God, I want to be right with you. He he says, I want to be okay. I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to worship you without distraction. Have Have you noticed this, that when we sin, when we mess up, we're just like Adam and Eve? We do the same thing and we try to hide from God. I I say we try to hide from God. We think we're doing really well. But, you know, it's like uh, Adam, he's in the garden and God's walking through the garden and and he says, Adam, where are you? By the way, I want you to know this. God never asked a question in the Bible that he needs you to tell the answer to. He already knew where Adam was. He was asking Adam so Adam would pay attention and he would begin to realize where he is. Adam says, well, we hid because we were ashamed. Well, David says, God, have mercy. I'm the king, but I've got nothing to bring. Cleanse me because I can't get rid of this on my own. This blood is on my hands. But, But more than that, God, this blood is on my heart. Cleanse my heart. Create in me a clean heart. I want to get back right with you. I don't want to feel the weight of this oppression and the condemnation. You know, when we sin, here's the thing. We're like Adam and Eve. When we mess up, we we tend to try to stay away from God. We pull back. And when we do that, it robs us of our joy and allows a spirit of heaviness to have control in our lives. I've known people that have done that. They've pulled back from God, pulled back from church, and then they, they wonder why they walk with a cloud of darkness overshadowing their lives when they have pulled back from the light. David says, restore my joy, God. I think about that. I think about David, the, the, the moment when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And David is out there basically dancing in his underwear. You know, <laughs> He's dancing before the Ark in public, just worshiping God with everything he's got. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He didn't, and you know, his wife, uh, Michael, she was upset about it, but David didn't care. And, and you know what he's saying here? He's saying, God, I want that back. He said, God, I want to dance before you like I danced that day when I danced unashamedly. I want to get back to street dancing before you, God. That's what I want. I don't want to walk through the streets wondering about what people are thinking about me and my sin, wondering how much they know. I want to walk through the streets with a song in my heart and joy in my soul. I want to be able to dance before the Lord knowing that He sees me and that He loves me and that my heart is clean. I want the joy of my salvation back. Have mercy, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart and restore my joy. The last thing I notice that that is part of the cry of the brokenhearted, David says this. He says, let me have my purpose again. Let me have my purpose again. He, He said this. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. 
you know, I've always kind of wondered what he meant. You know, what's the point of that? But here's, here's what I found in my life. When I've sinned, it stops me from telling other people about Jesus. When I've sinned, when I've messed up, when I've had my spectacular failure, and I'm talking with somebody at the store, and they say to me, well, what do you, what do, you do for a living? It's that moment, I don't really want to even want to tell them. Because when you're empty, it's hard to feel anybody else. You hear what I'm saying? You know, you're in that moment where you're saying to somebody, oh, God can change your life. Now, I really screwed up, but he can change your life. David says, I love helping people. I love being the king. I love shepherding God's people. But he says, I have not been doing that because I have disqualified myself. He says, let me, let me come back. I want to help somebody else. I want my purpose back. I want to be able to shepherd the people of God. I want to be the king that you want me to be, God. I want to be the man that you want me to be. Now, I want you to understand this clearly. David, David loved God with all of his heart. David served God in his own generation. But in the middle of all of that, David had some spectacular failures, didn't he? And if we don't think that we will have spectacular failures, and the Bible says the truth is just not in us. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who served, God's, served God in his generation. A man who messed up. A man who, just like you and just like me, you know what we do? We, I mean, we put on our nice clothes and we fix up our hair as much as we can now. If you're like me, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, my wife has resorted to turning me upside down and using me as a dust mop. You know, that's, I need a haircut bad. I, I texted somebody who's going to cut my hair this week and, and I told him, I said, it has moved from a haircut into a rescue operation. <laughs> but we, you know, we fix up our hair and, Kind of lost my train of thought there for a second, but you know, we, we come to church, we're looking so good, but then God knows that, that inside a lot of us, there's an ache, there's a pain, there's a shame, there's a guilt. But here's the word of the Lord for you today it's not over. It's not over. It's not over even when you fail. Bow your head together with me. Father, I come to you right now, Lord God, and you see everybody right now. You know what we're dealing with. You know what's going on in our lives. Whether they're in this building or they're watching someplace else uh, through the live stream, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that if you've been dealing with somebody in this, it, it, through this word and there's been some hidden guilt or maybe they've been just living under false condemnation and they need to walk in the freedom of knowing that, that you have forgiven them, that you have cleansed them, that, you have, uh, that they are your child and you're never going to let them go. But God, whatever it is, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that Right now, God, that we won't ignore this moment. Because we have this moment and we're not promised another one. But God, if, if you're dealing with somebody, if you're tugging in our hearts, Lord, I pray that we won't ignore your call. But God, this moment right now, that we would respond to you in our own way. It's not about having a great eloquent, eloquent prayer but it's just simply going before you and saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Would you cleanse me? 
Would you give me a purpose in my life? Restore the joy of your salvation in my life. And God, I pray, I pray right now that wherever, wherever the, the people are that are, you're speaking to, God, that they would take this moment. Would you do that right now? Right where you are. Right where you're sitting. Whether you're in this building or somewhere else. Just if there's something in your life that's been nagging at you, just make it right. Confess it before God. You may need to go to somebody else and ask for forgiveness, but you can't do that until you start with God. Go to Him and just say, Lord God, have mercy on me. And Lord, as people are praying that prayer right at this very moment, I pray, God, that you would flood their lives with your joy. That, God, that they would be able to dance before you the way David did. That they would have such joy that when they come into the house of God, that it would just be unrestrained when we, be, when we begin to worship. God, have your way. And God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. You're so good to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us, Lord God, to just to live in awe and wonder of your mercy and your grace toward us. And Lord, I pray that we won't let these things build up, but Lord, in those moments when we do sin, that we'll take your word seriously and that we'll confess our sin to you knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Why don't you stand together? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord, hasn't it? Well, three of us. Three of us. Stand together with me. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I just want to ask God to bless you and keep you. And uh, just, I want to just encourage you, keep your eyes open. There's still people around you in your neighborhood, in your circle of friends. You can be the hands of Jesus reaching out to them. So, so keep your eyes open. Keep your ears listening to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Be the hands of Jesus reaching out. Amen? Amen. I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for your people. I love your people. There's nobody like your people, Lord God, who know the joy of, of sin that's forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would just let your hand rest upon us, that you would keep us, Lord God, that you would let your favor in our lives be obvious to all those around, and they would say, what is it that's different about you? And God, that we'd be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that you've given to us. Lord, I pray as we go out that you would use us. Let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. Let us be your mouthpieces. And above all things, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. And we ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.